Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Kelly, and welcome to The Millennial Minimalists. We're two Canadian millennials and minimalists on a mission to live more with less. And together, our goal is to inspire you to design a simpler, more intentional life. Hi, everyone. This is Kelly, and today I am joined by celebrated author, speaker, and fellow podcaster Patrick J. McGinnis, who wrote the international bestseller, FOMO, The Fear of Missing Out practical decision-making in a world of overwhelming choice. Patrick coined the term FOMO and a related term called FOBO, the fear of better options, in 2004 during his graduating year at Harvard Business School. And today, both FOMO and FOBO have been added to the dictionary and become universal concepts widely used by celebrities, influencers, and our peers alike. And in Patrick's book, he examines the everyday impulses such as technology and our social communities that can trigger us to feel these and he provides tips to help us neutralize them so that we can live more decisively. While the minimalist lifestyle can help us remove the excess from our lives, everyday decision-making can still be a challenge. And in our discussion, Patrick shares practical and powerful strategies to help us push past indecision. Be inspired to become a better decision-maker and start taking control of the way you live and work. So thank you so much for being here today. Your book, Fear of Missing Out or FOMO is so well done. And I'm excited to share your lessons with our community today. So, and I also wanted to mention that I've read your book twice over and every single time. Yeah. (laughs) And I haven't read it twice. (laughs) Okay. I think, I think for me, it's like, I usually read a book first and then I'll read it a second time to really grasp the concepts. So I read it twice. And every time I tell friends, Hey, I'm reading the book FOMO. I get the same response every time. It's like, oh my goodness, I have to read that. People get so excited. And I think it's because FOMO is a relatable topic, but also because a lot of my friends are millennials, so they can really relate. So to start things off, similar to how a minimalist lifestyle helps us create the space to identify and manage life's distractions, your work on FOMO helps us address these triggers so that we can make better decisions and live with greater intention. And today I'm hoping to dive into how we can become better decision makers in our world of overwhelming choice, as you say, uh, and diffuse everyday triggers that pull us away from our own paths. So can you briefly start by sharing your background and the experience that led you to coin the term FOMO and why you call yourself the first FOMO sapien. Yeah. First of all, it's great to be here. <clears throat> and it's true. It is such a topic for our time. And I think especially with everything going on in the world, FOMO is, is persistent in my life and in the lives of others. So, But it long has been. This is not new for me or for many of us. So the story is that uh, when I was basically, how old was I? I guess I was about 26. I was living in New York City. 9-11 happened. I witnessed that with my own eyes. And and I didn't write about this in the book, interestingly. I should have probably done that, but it just, you know, they cut a lot of things out as you, as yeah. you do. Anyway. But uh, after that happened, I realized how short life was and how precious life was. And I decided that the world that I thought existed before 9-11 maybe was gone forever. And therefore, I wanted to sort of do everything and live to the fullest because I was worried about sort of the state of the world around me. And around that time, the day after 9-11, or sorry, the day before, I actually took the GMAT 
I had to go to business school and I got into Harvard Business School, which was something I never expected to do. It wasn't like on my radar screen, really. And so when I was admitted and then it entered shortly thereafter uh, in 2002, I was in this choice-rich environment with all these opportunities and I wanted to take advantage of everything. And I tried to do everything. I was at every event. I was at every job interview, every class, every party, every trip. I was constantly tired or sick or stressed out. And I realized that actually I felt kind of like it was actually like all these good things were causing me to be stressed out all the time because I had this fear of missing out. So I started calling it FOMO and I wrote it about in our school newspaper and it was published and then it went viral and here we are today. That's amazing. What a story. I, I you Actually, you mentioned in your book, you said, quote, if you were to throw a rock at any event, chances are you would hit me. And I started laughing. <laughs> it was so funny. I started laughing in the middle of the street when I heard that because I was listening to your audio version. It was so funny. And you also mentioned FOMO's story became a McGincident. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah. So I've my whole life, I've always made up words. I always have. And um, so as a kid, I would be inventing words and none of them ever got very famous. And then around that time that I invented FOMO, I started using the word McGincident, which is like anything I would do that was a little crazy. I'd be like, well, that was a McGincident. Like Patrick, you know, just like asked a stupid question or Patrick was really obnoxious or he, you know, bungee jumped. Not that I've ever done that. Yeah. I would call it a McGincident. And so that was just another word. And I still make up words all the time. So, and I write them down. I have lists of all of them. And so I thought McGincident was going to be the one that lasted at least in my own life, but FOMO clearly made it to the dictionary and McGincident has not yet. And obviously based on your last name, McGinnis. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like McGinnis incident, McGincident. I'm all about the portmanteau. You know, you take two words and combine them. That's, that's basically all I do all day long. It's come yeah. up. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of us do that, especially via text. So in your book, FOMO, you define two types of FOMO, aspirational FOMO and herd FOMO. Can you explain these as you would say foes and share examples of their triggers? Absolutely. So as I, so I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. Um, and when I decided to write this book, I, I had certain parts of it I felt were very much within my wheelhouse, which was like the business aspects and, and the life aspects and the story. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I feel very comfortable writing about FOMO because it's something I came up with, right? And so that was great. But then as I started really working on the book proposal and then writing the book, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to really think deeply about the psychological aspects of this physiological, the, you know, all of these sort of Darwinistic stuff that happened. And, and so I did a ton of research. I interviewed tons of people. I read all of this, all of this incredible research has been done on FOMO by clinical psychologists, believe it or not. And I realized as I did so, and I, and I sort of thought about it deeply that FOMO really consists of two things. And so I came up with a definition for FOMO because there were like 25 definitions, all of which were sort of incomplete. And I defined it as um, really consisting of two elements. The first being a fear that something better than what you're doing right now is happening out there, or at least the perception of it. And number two, the fear of being excluded from a beneficial group experience. And so as you think about each of those elements, the first one, fear of being left out of, a, of, a, of something that looks great, that you perceive to be great, is really about aspiration. It's like wanting something better for yourself. You know, Kim Kardashian selling you whatever she's selling this week online, she's selling you like a dream, right? And so that's right. the aspirational part of FOMO. And then the herd part is the desire not to be left out of the crowd. As I thought about this idea of like Firefest, which many, you know, all the millennials listening to this, you know, if you don't know about it, look it up because it's very much um, of, of the time that, that we're speaking about. It's like all about this group 
behavior. And I, I was thinking about when I went to see the wildebeest in Africa running across the Serengeti yeah. herd. And so that's how I identified those two concepts and how they actually play out. Right, right. So focusing on the forces that trigger FOMO, such as social media influencers, as you mentioned, brand marketers, mm -hmm. and mass holidays, which is really herd FOMO in many ways, mm -hmm. that often influence to buy the things that we don't need. What steps can we take to neutralize these triggers? Okay, I love the question because it's, I, so what's cool about writing a book um, is when you write a book, especially about a topic like this, you've thought deeply about this topic. And so then when you have daily triggers in your own life, I mean, I think to myself, I'll be like, wow, I have a lot of FOMO. Like I just wrote a book about this. Like if I can't help myself, <laughs> who am I to talk to other people, right? That's, that's really terrible. So I have become super vigilant in my own life and, and thought about these triggers. So I'll tell you what I learned. And then, you know, I think it really works because I see it in my own life. So first of all, as we think about the definition that we just talked about, right, this aspirational FOMO and the herd FOMO, those are the key to unlocking how you overcome FOMO. Because if you can attack each of those root causes, mm -hmm. then you are golden. And so um, overcoming FOMO is really about finding the power to choose what you actually want and then finding the courage to miss out on the rest. So to think about what you actually want, you have to kind of defeat the aspirational FOMO and the herd FOMO. And so to do that with aspirational FOMO, you have to think about, you know, this perception there's something better out there than what you're doing at the moment. Perception can be deception. So, you know, is this thing all it's cracked up to be? Is it even possible for you to do it? Can you even afford to do it? Do you have the time, right? I can feel FOMO about being like a professional basketball player, but I'm five foot seven. So like, it's just <laughs> not going to happen, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Um, and so that's kind of unmasking that perception of something is really important and just thinking critically about whether it's all it's cracked up to be. And then the herd one is to ask yourself, like, am I doing this or do I want to do this because it's truly something I want to do or is it because I'm being influenced from outside, right? And so is it, right. you know, thinking about, you talk about intentional, like, is this intentional or is this reactional or am I being a follower? That's really critical. And then, you know, the second part, which we can get into later, I'm sure is, is missing out on the rest is that second part. So how can you, once you've made a decision about what you want, then the world conspires to take you off course. And so you've got to think about how you can not be pulled away from, you know, the things you actually want. Right, right. And I think it helps being, again, you, you mentioned in the book, staying attuned to these messages, right? All these triggers. So there's all these experiences that we can have, but if you really have an understanding of what you do want, you can be able to miss those opportunities. And maybe in that situation, you can ask yourself important questions like, hey, do I really want this? Like, is, is this meaningful to me? Is this the lifestyle that I want? Or ask yourself, like, why do I feel this way? And again, especially with social media, and actually that's my next question, considering technologies such as, you know, the smartphone and our social media are amplifying feelings of FOMO, how do you suggest we manage these tools to avoid these feelings? Or what ideas should we think about to avoid feelings of FOMO and especially comparison? Right. So FOMO is, is uh, amplified by social media and digital devices. They are the accelerant that makes the fire burn much, much more ardently, I guess you could say. And, <laughs> and, and it's problematic. And of course, if you haven't heard the term, the attention economy, uh, which many of you have, I'm sure, but if you haven't, look it up. It's this idea that these companies make money by basically monopolizing your attention. And so 
they they have created all these really nifty tricks like notifications and likes and all this stuff that we can observe and to get us to spend time on these platforms, right? And these things, what they do, if you think back to our definition, is they're all about creating a perception that something looks really great. We all know that Instagram, like I love Instagram. I'll yeah. admit that. I think Instagram's amazing, but it's kind of like a big lie, right? Like, I mean, all the filters and I, I do it too, right? It's like, take the picture, you take seven pictures till the one that looks good and you put a filter and then all of a sudden, you know, you- Yeah, it's carefully curated, yeah. Precisely. And that's okay. Um, but that's where the problems start. And so, you know, what I have done, and this is my biggest, this is like my big hill to, to charge up for myself is number one, I took all um, social media off the front page of my phone. Number two, I, I turned off all notifications. Number three, one of the things I'm going to experiment with this year is putting time limits uh, okay. on, on, because I, especially Twitter, uh, Twitter has hijacked my brain. I had quit it for several years. I'm back on it and, I'm, and it makes me feel bad. So I'm going to be leaving it again. But I think that that's, that's really critical. I, I encourage people, this is not about abstinence. It's really hard to live without social media, especially in many jobs. But choosing your platform, one or two, and then limiting time on them is really important. And then also the other thing is, and this is like something that I've, I've learned to do as of late, is as you're scrolling when you feel bad feelings, stop for a second and say, like, why do I feel stressed right now? Oh, is it because I just saw my rival from high school posting about their perfect life and their perfect vacation? If that's the case, unfollow that person. You want to remove the negative feelings mm -hmm. because social media is meant to make you happy, isn't it? So, like, it's kind of like ice cream. If you don't, if you go to the ice cream store and you feel terrible, like, what's going on there? And so you want to think about that as you scroll, and that'll help you to then make more critical decisions about how you're spending your time. Yeah, my, that's great advice. My co-host and I also limit our time on social media. She actually only downloads the Instagram app a couple times a month. So wow. she doesn't actually keep it on her phone that often. Yeah. For me, I, I, I use it every day, but I use it with intention. So I'll say, hey, like this time, I actually keep a bullet journal. So I'm like between this time frame, I will use my social media for 10 minutes. At the end of the day, I'll use it for another 10 minutes. That way I don't find myself just randomly scrolling. And uh, you you also mentioned a little note in, in your book. You said that there will be three plus billion social media users by this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and that Americans spend 10 hours a day on screen time. That's a lot. And that's a lot of images. And that's a lot of words that we're seeing, right? So well, think about it this way too. The one, so when, when we did quarantine and many of us, you know, have been in and out of quarantine the last year, yeah. like the people were, I remember people saying like, whoa, I'm going to do so many things. I'm going to like learn how to cook and I'm going to yeah. also get in shape and like Peloton this and that. And like the one thing people brought into quarantine with them was their phones and their devices. And so social media usage has been through the roof. People, mm -hmm. it's become like a coping mechanism yeah. for many and so it's even worse than it was in the past. And so that is also like, you know, we're recording this right now when there's been like Donald Trump was was um, banned from Twitter last week. And so like I actually tweeted, uh, you know, it's OK, so he's off of Twitter. Now you need to like get over him because like he's maybe gone, but you're so used to like looking for the tweets and the outrage that like you've been conditioned to it, mm -hmm. um, which is messed up. So it's important to think about those things. Yeah. And. When all of this started, I was thinking, oh, Lauren, I said this to my co-host. I was like, oh, you know what? 
my FOMO is going to be gone. There's nothing to, like, there's no events happening, right? So I'm not going to have any FOMO. And she goes, no, I have more FOMO. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, now people have all this time. So time back. So maybe, you know, they're building a business or maybe that they're taking a course. Like, I don't know. I actually have more FOMO now. <laughs> it's funny. A lot of people said to me when we went into the first quarantine in March of 2020, and my book came out in May. Um, so a couple of people, one guy said to me, like I, this guy I went to college with, I think he just told me, I don't know what his issue is, but he said like FOMO is now a luxury good, mm. which I thought was interesting. I was like, well, I was like, well, thanks man. Like that makes me feel great about the fact that I just wrote a book about this, but like yeah. you could have, you know, like that's not nice, but at the same time, like, Hey, I'm an, I'm willing to listen. So I was like, I thought about it. And for a little while there, I was like, he's probably, you know, sadly, or, or maybe not sadly, but like maybe he's right. So maybe, you know, this topic is just, I need to find something else to talk about. Now, 2021, we have a world where like people are getting a vaccine. Some people are going to be back at it. Others are going to be stuck at home waiting. Like, I think this is going to be like a crazy year of like insane FOMO. And so it's going to be really hard. I feel it already. So I, I, you know, I think we all need to be prepared to manage our FOMO in this year. I think you're you're speaking from the fact that some people are going to be able to go out and do things and other people are going to be stuck in their homes. Yeah, I think it's partially that. And I think it's also the fact that like, you know, there's we had a certain amount of time where we were willing to tolerate, you know, but as you can see in large parts of like certain parts of, of different countries, I don't want to name names, like some people just don't care anymore. They're like out doing their thing regardless. And then there's other people who are still stuck in their homes and you have to feel the, I do. Like when I see people at like, I saw a friend of mine last night at a football game, which I was like, really? Here I am like stuck in my apartment, but I felt all the FOMO and then I was annoyed, you know? Yeah. Whenever I see that, I just, I just come back and I say, well, I'm doing the right thing. And there's a lot of people in my, in my community, they're also doing the right thing. So that's all that matters. That's all that matters. At least I know people who are doing the right thing. So that being said, FOMO can also be a positive. In a discussion on author Greg McEwen's podcast, What's Essential, which is where I actually originally found out about you and your book, Ooh. you highlight that while FOMO is more often seen as a negative feeling in a positive sense, it can actually help us identify the things we actually want. Can you further explain this? Of course. And I love that you had Greg on. I saw that. Um, he and I went like he came on my show, FOMO Sapiens. I went on his show, and and he he he's like I become a friend because I think we we see the world in like different ways, mm-hmm. like different aspects. But at the same time, there's a lot of commonality and with your work as well. So it's kind of cool. Um, all right, so here's here's the thing. I I will admit, first FOMO Sapiens ever is that's who I am. I've always been a very ambitious person, wanting to do everything, wanting to you know just carpe diem through life. So that's who I am. And that, and that is not all negative because what I've learned as well is that actually, if you listen to your FOMO and you say, okay, I perceive that something is out there that might be interesting to me. Let me dig into that. Let me assess that. Is that as good as it looked? Maybe I can't tell right away, but if I dip a toe in and try something and see if it's interesting to me and get some data on that, maybe it'll help me to uncover something I do want to actually do. So my first book was a book called The 10% Entrepreneur. It's all about how to be an entrepreneur without quitting your day job. And it's basically, I didn't realize it when I wrote it, but then, you know, sort of looking back, it's really about entrepreneurship FOMO. A lot of people see entrepreneurship. It looks so great from the outside. They want to do it. And what my whole approach is like, great, 
So if you want to do it, instead of just quitting your job and jumping right in, why don't you try it part-time, start with 10% of your time and money, and then go from there. And so you can take that mindset of incrementally trying something to figure out if you even like it. And if it's all it's cracked up to be, you can do that with you know, entrepreneurship. You can do that with a hobby. You can do that with many different things in life. And so that is the great thing about FOMO is it awakens us to things that we might want to do. And then, you know, if you think if you're, if you're sort of strategic and you don't go crazy, it can be a wonderful way to discover new opportunities. Wow, that's so relevant to today, especially. I think a lot of, especially my peers, are starting side hustles. That's a new totally. thing. And it, again, it's FOMO is really influencing the gig economy in many ways. Many ways. And one thing I love about, so I'm, by the way, I'm like, I call myself the oldest millennial. Okay, um, and so I, you are a millennial. I, okay, good. I wanted to ask I, you that. I'm like on the border, but I... I, you know, I, first of all, I have no, I have friends who are millennials, obviously. Um, and, um, and I have a lot of respect, you know, I, what really eerie, I went on Fox news one time to do an interview and it was like, millennials are the worst. It was one of those, you know, things that they, they have like the negative. Th- and I defended the millennials because against this other person, like, because I was sort of like, millennials are open-minded, they're creative, they're flexible. Like there's so many great things about your generation that I really admire and one of the things like the gig economy is that people, they're very scrappy um, and they try new things and they, they don't get caught up in the conventions of yesterday. So yes, the millennials generation is embracing side hustles and stuff like that. And I think it's really a, a powerful way to think about living your life. Yeah. And so you, you've also mentioned that millennials are the original generation FOMO. And you share a study in your book by global ad agency, JWT, that showed 72% of millennials can relate to the concept followed by half of Generation X and a third of baby boomers. So now considering FOMO is on the rise today, would you say that Gen Z is the new generation FOMO? Yeah, you got to think it is. I mean, look at TikTok, right? So TikTok is the the social sort of media platform of choice of Generation Z or Z. I prefer Z. It sounds so much cooler. Um, and, And, you know, I think this is a generation that's grown up Obviously, gener- millennials are digital natives uh, to some degree, but Generation Z is like social media natives. So you think about it, like any kid under the age of like 15 has never lived in a world that didn't have these things, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And, I know. Right? Um, I mean, that's awful. But, but as a result, I think that is uh, – we will see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. But you can see clearly the mental health effects of having – exposure to stuff like you know social media as a child it's very clear the correlation between social media and insecurity and all these other things that happens with young people so unfortunately i mean there's positive aspects that we can talk about and we just did but like on the negative side this is clear i know i think about that as a child the kind of fomo that i had it's you know i would hang out with my friends and i would hear things it was all word of mouth and for my parents it's with it's like keeping up with the joneses as you would say yes. and now it's about it's, you know, thousands, the thousands of people we follow influence our everyday, right? And, and how we feel mentally, right? So it can have a negative impact on us. So on that note, what are some of the effects of FOMO on our health, physically and mentally? Well, it's one thing is uh, when we spend so much time out. Okay, so I interviewed this, this guy who is a neurobiologist slash psychologist slash Buddhist meditation teacher named Michael Rogan slash entrepreneur. This guy is 
when I met him, I met him in, in a business context, actually. I'm an investor in his company. Okay. And w- when I met him, he, he, he started talking FOMO with me, as many people do. And uh, I was like, you, you're so smart. And the way he thinks about this, he's kind of like perfectly positioned to have a deep viewpoint, right? Given all his stuff. Yeah. And what he told me, which was, I put it in the book and I thought it was really insightful. is like, the problem with FOMO is that when you're feeling FOMO, you are not rooted in your current reality. You are living, you are, your mind is in the clouds in a fantasy world where there's this thing that you wish you could have that looks so great. That has no tie to your lived experience, what you're living right now. So like if I'm thinking about how great it would be to be a Hollywood star, that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm like sitting in my apartment in New York, you know, doing this podcast. And so I'm not valuing my present life at all. I'm devaluing it. And I'm spending way too much time on something that doesn't even exist. And so you become, you disassociate from reality and you become disconnected from the real world. And if you do that enough, that becomes a pathology. Mm-hmm. And so that is the big problem is that uh, people who have FOMO, they start to value a world that isn't even available to them and then devalue their real life. And, and that's like, so that, yeah, I see your face. Like it's like, well, I, I'm just thinking stress, right? <laughs> it's messed up. It's stress. It's got, you know, mental effects. There's physical effects. You don't sleep well. You're in a bad mood. It has all these manifestations that are bad for us. Mm -hmm. And especially if you think about self-esteem issues, right? Mm -hmm. Especially things, everything is so filtered. And so you see all these images. And so you then look at yourself and say, oh, you compare. You did the comparison. And so that then spirals to other feelings, right? Loneliness and, you know, not being, not feeling like you're included. Yeah. All these, all these feelings. So what would you say is the most negative health effect that it can have on us? I think you just nailed on the self-esteem because no matter who you are, think about like, I mean, this is, it's got a little silly, but think about the, like the Selena Gomez's and Justin Bieber's of the world yeah. and their, and their Instagram meltdowns. I mean, these are people who millions of people adore and idolize. They've got, you know, tons of money. They're famous. They're young and good looking. They're talented. They have like everything going for them. And yet they have like these major public meltdowns because of social media. And so if that, if, if you know, and I understand there's the pressure of being in the public eye, that's for for sure. And yeah. but like you then combine that to like a normal kid in the out, you know, the suburbs of Toronto who goes to school every day and then, you know, is, is looking at social media and feeling insecure because they don't look like Selena or whatever. That it's crazy. Everyone can relate to that, unfortunately. No, absolutely. We just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to the Millennial Minimalist and to let you know about our exciting Simple Living consultations. Whether you are looking to remove physical, mental, emotional, or digital clutter, or you're looking for a reset on life, we will help you adopt simple and intentional lifestyle practices for the long term. Together, Lauren and I offer both personal and group sessions. So if you'd like to connect with us one-on-one, or if you have friends or family members who'd be interested in a group session, please connect with us via email at millennialminimalist at gmail.com, or you can send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at millennialminimalist. As soon as we hear from you, we will set up your first complimentary 10-minute consultation to learn more about your goals. Ultimately, it is our mission to help you design a lifestyle around the things that matter most to you. And of course, have a lot of fun with us along the way. We love you all, and we're so excited to hear from you. 
You also mentioned that FOMO is not our fault because we are hardwired to feel FOMO, the idea that these impulses are biological in ways. Is that? Yeah. I'm so yeah. curious. That's so fascinating. It's like, um, have you read that book, Sapiens? Yes, I have. Okay. So like I, I had not read that book. So you know, it's like that book everybody says you got to read yes. and like, it's so a I, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I, I think the first hundred pages are amazing. I didn't need the other 400, but I hadn't read the book. And I wrote, I, I wrote the FOMO book based on my own research. And, and then I read Sapiens. I was in Uzbekistan last summer and I read it. Cause I was like, well, I'm going to have like a million hours in the car um, going all over the step. And so I read it. And when I read it, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like he basically, he writes about FOMO essentially in Sapiens because he traces the, the evolution of humankind. And the point here is that the earliest humans, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, who were running around East Africa um, 2 million years ago, they were so aware of what everybody else had, but what they didn't have and what they needed to survive because they, you know, it's like survival of the fittest. And, um, that, and so if they were left out <clears throat> of the group and the information they needed to survive, then they would die. And so like FOMO was like a, like a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. And so it is part of our, of the human experience. And as you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, keeping up with the Joneses, which is, you know, that famous expression comes from a comic strip that was running a hundred years ago before, you know, I mean, that's like analog plus it's before, I think it's like, maybe there was radio back then. It wasn't even television. So like, this has always been part of who we are. The difference is that now we just have so much more data coming at us because of connectivity that we have more opportunities every day to feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. You said that our impulses are also driven by our social communities, which is interconnectivity and by mm -hmm. technology, our relentless uh, access to information and, you know, our, our choice rich environment. We have so much, we have so many options to choose from. This actually moves us into my next question. In addition to FOMO, you introduce another foe, FOBO, mm -hmm. the fear mm -hmm. of better options, which you describe as hoarding possibilities, which wastes our time. Uh, can you explain FOBO uh, and how it's different from FOMO? And perhaps maybe you could share your wine and cigarettes analogy. I loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Um, I love that too. I, I, I'm, I'll explain it to the second. Um, FOBO. So you may be listening and saying, hey, I'm over my FOMO. And if you are, that's great. And I, I support you in that. <laughs> but if you, even if you're over your FOMO, you may very well have FOBO. Because a lot of people I talk to, when I explain FOBO, they're like, oh, that's the one I really have. FOBO, if you have a better option, is the idea. There's the perception. There's something better out there than what you're doing right now. Um, and so you're waiting for that thing before making a decision. So you have a set of perfectly acceptable options in front of you, but there might be something better out there. And so rather than decide, you keep your options open for as long as possible. So it's about perception, something's better out there, just like with FOMO, and the, the, the desire to keep your options open and decide at the very last minute when it's, you, you can sort of have a, a riskless decision. So example would be, you know, this happens all the time. It's like I applied for jobs. Okay. I'm in the recruiting process. I get an offer from a company I would have been very happy to work for, but I have six other applications out there. I don't even know if I'm going to get an interview, but oh my goodness, I can't decide because what if I get an interview with, you know, Google or whatever, um, dating, you know, Tinder, keep swiping, keep swiping, keep swiping. And so that's, that's what it's all about. And the way I, you know, in the context of the cigarettes and wine, so I mentioned earlier that there can be positive attributes to FOMO. 
And so FOMO for me is a little like drinking wine. You have a little wine, loosens you up a little bit to new possibilities. Um, as long as you don't have too much wine, you know, you'll be fine in the morning. Bobo is like cigarettes. No positive things for you. Feels good, maybe, but bad for your health. Has secondary effects on all the people around you because all those people, while you have your FOBO, they're waiting for you to decide. Um, and so it's just negative in every way. There's no positive attribute to FOBO. Unfortunately, it's just indecision and bad. It affects others in addition to yourself, whereas FOMO just affects you. Uh, So we need to be more mindful of that. And I think a lot of us see that these days, you know, it's people keeping all their options open and not making a decision until the last second, or they don't make a decision at all, or those who ghost. And people will notice this when you do this. You know, you won't be invited to certain events. Uh, You'll be seen as someone who can't keep their word. These are some of the negative effects. So considering these negative effects, how can we best manage our FOBO to avoid hurting ourselves and others? Yeah, so FOBO is, this is like, I have become way better at managing my FOBO than managing my FOMO. Um, (laughs) I'll admit that. Uh, So, and I, I really also, FOBO and other people, I will not tolerate anymore. Ever. So I'm, I'm quite vigilant on this sort of stuff. And so, again, um, if we think about those root causes, number one, it's that perception uh, that something better out there. And then it's the idea that there's option value is, is better than, than making a decision. So you have to get into, again, thinking about, like, say I'm making a decision about um, where I'm going to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a problem that I see a lot with people. Where should I go on my trip? Well, you know, I'm trying to pick a hotel and I if you go onto any booking site, there are so many options, right? We're overwhelmed with choice because FOBO is an affliction of affluence. If you didn't have any money, you wouldn't even have this problem, right? But because you can afford to go on vacation, then you have a gazillion choices. And so what you need to do, number one, is for the unimportant things in life, I just flip a coin, like chicken or fish at lunch, flip a coin. And I did this um, TED video called How to Make Faster Decisions uh, that came out last year that explains all of this. So if you're interested, go check it out at TED.com. And then uh, when it comes to small things, I outsource them to other people. Like I never choose a restaurant anymore. It's like you choose. Like here's some basic criteria. Like I don't want, I want, you know, I don't want to have like, um, you know, sushi, it's a Monday. But other than that, choose something in this neighborhood. Uh, because I just don't want to deal with it. I don't care. It's not worth my time. And then on the big things, you know, I get into the perception. I dig into, okay, something, so, okay, I, I have these options, but what if something better comes along? Well, you know, I think critically, like, is that even possible? Like, what have I done to generate those things? What's the timeline? It's realistic. So you just have to sort of recognize that it's all going on in your head. You're inventing all these theoretical options. And then also understanding that option value, we think that, the longer we wait to decide, the better it will be for us. But frankly, if you wait too long, options may go off the table. And so there's yeah. real value to like being decisive in life. And like nobody's going to respect you for being indecisive. Nobody's like, what a great leader. He was so indecisive, right? And so you have to sort of work through these decisions and, and value being decisive. Yeah, you you mentioned a great example in your book about, I think it might have been a friend of yours. He received a job offer in, I think, believe it was London. Yeah. And then he went to who he thought was a friend, ask advice on how we can leverage that opportunity for another opportunity in I think, Paris. And he came back and he, and he realized, oh. And- yeah, he emailed the guy who had given him the job offer by accident. And then that guy was like, you 
have like two minutes to decide if you want this job or not. And yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that is such a classic. It's a real story, by the way. I, I, um, I covered it up with a fake name and fake locations because right. the person was like, do not write about me. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. I also believe that you moved your life to Mexico City to escape FOBO in the past. Is that true? Yeah, I wrote this book in Mexico City two years ago because I just knew that between my FOMO and my FOBO, I would just be distracted. And, you know, writing a book is like, you got to just like go in a cave basically. So that's what I did. I, I fled to Mexico City, which was a great decision. And I got my work done. That's good. You did mention that you had a little bit of FOBO though, because of choosing like where to stay, et cetera. Yeah, I, it was a classic. Like I went on Airbnb and then I start looking for apartments. And of course, there's like 9,000 apartments in the neighborhood I want. And then I'm like, you're sort of trying to, you, you know, it's, I ended up just sending them, like I outsource everything. So I literally sent the links to a friend of mine. I was like, which one would you take? And then I chose that one. Right, right. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. And by the way, your flip the coin tip, so helpful. So helpful for me. Even just from what's on the dinner menu to what color electronic you're going to buy, et cetera. Like that stuff. That. All it's not time. important. Do it all the time. It was like two nights ago. What was I? I was, trying, I was trying to decide something. Literally, like, should I go to the grocery store or not to buy these things or wait till tomorrow? And I was like worried about it for 10 minutes. And then I just, I call it Ask the Watch. I looked at my cell phone. I said, if it's even I'm going now, if it's odd, I'll go tomorrow. It said it was odd. So I didn't leave. And then I was like, decision made, moving on with my day. It's yeah. so, it is, that is like the best. I, I love that thing. That, that little trick that I found in college. And so, yeah, that is just outsourcing decision-making either to an inanimate object or to somebody else really helps. Yeah, it was actually on your your podcast, FOMO Sapiens, which I highly recommend everybody listen to. It's amazing. Uh, you talk about how you had a problem with low-stake and no-stake decisions in college, and you now use your watch. Can you explain how you use your watch? Yeah, so... Basically, say I'm making a low stakes decision, a low stakes decision, sorry, no stakes decision, which is something you won't remember having decided in three days. And this is like a great example would be like, uh, you know, like I, this happens with like lunch all the time. It's like, should I order a salad from Sweet Green or should I make a sandwich? And I'm, it's like, oh my God, I don't know. This is a big decision. Like, what will I do? Uh, I mean, and so what I basically do is I, the right side of my watch is one option. The left side is another option. I look down, I see where the second hand is, and then the decision has been made. And then I just stick with it. I've never gone against the watch in 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Never. Cause I don't, because the beauty of this is like, it doesn't matter. I'm asking where it's not like I'm saying like, should I have a salad or should I gouge my eyes out with a fork? You know, it's like, it's like, it's like a salad or a sandwich. Like either is just fine. The problem here is I'm bringing so much drama. I need to bring myself, take myself out of the decision-making process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now you also mentioned a third foe called FODA, a fear mm -hmm. of doing anything. And I have felt this before. Can you describe how the foes can sometimes lead us into a state of analysis paralysis? Yeah. So if you combine your FOMO with your FOBO, it's like, I want to do everything but my FOBO won't let me decide anything because I'm waiting for the perfect riskless decision. You get FODA fear of doing anything, which is basically like just cognitive overload. You're stuck. You can't move. And that, that's, that's just not the place you want to be because that's why, you know, the Titanic sank. You know, that's why we couldn't have a coherent response to coronavirus. That's why, you know, there's so many, so many things that happen when 
people cannot make decisions and they just prefer to bury their head in the sand. And so that's where you don't want to get. And so you have to sort of develop the muscles to deal with FOMO and FOBO so you don't end up in that place. Yeah. And it can even just be little things like, oh, I need to buy a new item, but I'm okay. So for example, uh, so the minimalist lifestyle has helped me clear all the noise out of my life, well, much of it. And again, it, this lifestyle, you need to constantly manage the noise and the excess in your life. So when you and you also own your best pieces and your best items because you use them or you love them. That being said, whenever I need a new item, I sometimes have troubles making a decision about that item because I know I only need one. For example, even a new pair of boots, I know I only need one. And I want the best pair because I mm. want it to last a long time because that's the whole idea is like you want something that's high quality so that you're not buying multiple pairs. And I'll, what I'll do is I, I'd spend so much time researching and then I'd be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just leave it in the cart and I wouldn't buy it. And now I'm telling myself, okay, you have X number of days to buy that pair of shoes because you're going to need it because there's going to be a snowstorm soon. <laughs> so now I'm setting a time limit with myself to help push past, like not doing anything, just being paralyzed in that sense. That's excellent. And it's funny, like I have that same issue every time I try to order food. Um, you know, I go on in the app and there are thousands of them and I oftentimes just don't end up ordering anything and like eat cereal because I, I get that feeling as well. And it's good that you've set a time limit for yourself. You could also outsource to somebody, but I get you. And and I think the minimalist lifestyle is so valuable. I just went through, I moved recently and so I Marie condoed oh. all my stuff. Um, Love I'm your terrible. condo. It looks great. I can see Thank the you. background. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Well, I, um, I'm really bad at throwing things away because I, ever since I was a kid, I always believed that like inanimate objects have feelings and they'll be offended if I throw them out, which is really weird. So I've had to move on from that as an adult, but I do like, I either, you know, throwing things away is hard. I try to give them away, but getting rid of clutter, it's so freeing, obviously, and in, in, in embracing a more minimalist lifestyle. And that may be different things to different people. But every time you throw something away or give something away, you have this moment of decision. So if you can't make decisions, you're not going to get there. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made every single day in this process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That being said, sometimes when you have all that space, it's like, okay, now I can do what I need to do. But you still have those feelings. You still have those foes and it's about managing them. So at the end of your book, you conclude that FOMO is all about decision making and that the solution to FOMO is to learn to be decisive. And so on that note, to close our conversation, can you leave us with one to two actionable strategies that can help us live more decisively today? Absolutely. Number one, always keep a written record of your important decisions in life. Because when you write something down and we talk about, you know, sort of like thinking critically about whether something is as good as it looks, when you actually write things down and commit them to paper, it's much harder to lie to yourself or to have very weak reasoning. And so it's very valuable to write things down. And then you have a record of what you you thought at the time and you can go back in the future and analyze how you did. That's number one. Number two is, uh, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, as I'm sure you know, is consider beginning a daily mindfulness or meditation practice. It doesn't have to be an hour. I do 10 minutes a day of meditation. It has made a huge difference for me. And this is something that I got onto because of people I know and because of guests of the podcast. But 10 minutes a day, I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm at like 450 days in a row or something, has really made a difference for me. So if you haven't done that, 
do consider it as something to do in 2021. Yeah. Oh, that's great. When do you do it in the morning, in the evening? You know, there's like, I remember when I started, people were trying to give me rules. Patrick, you have to do at least half an hour. You have to sit at, in this way. You have to do it at this time of the day and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, if that, if you're going to make it so just regimented and strict, I'll never stick to it. And so I tend to do it actually at a point in the day when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, I will stop. I will step away and do it then. I also like to do it at the end of the day when I'm done with work and about to begin the evening. I use that as sort of a way to refresh myself because I'm not a morning person. I don't like the morning. I'm just like not able to do very much. So I don't enjoy meditating in the morning. Right, right, right. So uh, choosing 11 a.m. this morning was good for you then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm just... No, not not an early bird over here. You you also mentioned your book, uh, figure out what matters to you and what doesn't. And again, there will be trial and error in that, of course. Uh, And you said to set priorities, which is basically what you're communicating right now. Uh, And lastly, you mentioned a very important fact. Uh, You said in your book that a significant number of people in the world won't experience FOMO or FOBO and that Mm. we should be grateful for these choices. But you said that the key is to acknowledge these choices and make better decisions so that we do not get trapped. I love that. So well said. Uh, you said to sh- we should shape our own destiny and make the most of it and don't miss out. So, And from that, I get don't miss out on the life that you want to create for yourself. It's so true. And I think about in the way we think of the world today, like for having FOBO, it's privilege. It's, it is because like you have options. Mm-hmm. And you think about just like think about for a minute people who are really going through hard times, whether it's financial or health wise or whatever that is, um, there are many, many people out there who don't have a lot of options. So if you are overwhelmed, if you're like, wow, I have so many things I could have for lunch, it's like, that's that's privilege. And so I think recognizing that and then being grateful, and this sounds very woo-woo and I'm not that kind of guy, but I think after the last year, we all have to like be a little, you know, think a little more deeply about what we have and don't have. Like if you have options, like be thankful because you may not someday. And so appreciate them while you have them. Yes. Very, very well said. So where can our audience find you? Well, you can go to patrickmcginnis.com for information on both the books and also tons of free content and blog posts and all kinds of great stuff like that. And then the podcast is at fomosapiens.com. You can find it on all of the platforms and Spotify's and the iTunes and whatever else. So those are the best places to find me. And you can find me on social. Uh, I just told you not to use it, but Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis and Twitter at PJ McGinnis. You can still use it, but with intention. Mindfully, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Very well said. And, and lastly, you also said that, so you mentioned in your podcast yesterday, actually, uh, that you now are launching a course on Himalaya. I am. Actually, today, I forgot about that. It's funny. This is like something I've wanted to do for such a long time. And it's a course about how to be a part-time entrepreneur it's super cool because it's basically like a podcast. It's it's like episodic audio and it was really enjoyable to make. I had such a good time with it and I'm really proud of it. So if you go to Himalaya.com slash part-time, you can get a free 14-day trial and check out the class. And I promise if you want to be a part-time entrepreneur, it's chock full of goodness. So check it out. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Awesome. Thank you so All much. Right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying our show, please hit the subscribe button and kindly rate and review us on iTunes. We love hearing from you and your words really keep us motivated. 
You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Millennial Minimalists, where you can follow our journeys and find more information on our Simple Living coaching sessions. Thanks again for your time. And remember, minimalism is a lifestyle template. It is an opportunity for you to remove the excess from your life so that you can focus on the things that matter most to you. Be inspired to ultimately design a simpler, more intentional life.